0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit Brockportfirstbaptist.org. In continuing in the Gospel of Mark, today I'll be reading uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60 and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear listen. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. And thank you for that reading, Jim. So again, uh, happy, uh, gosh, happy Advent. I almost said happy Lent. That would have been really awkward. (laughs) Happy Advent. a few people already noticed this morning, i got going to come out here, um, but yes, if you're wondering, my uh, ugly Christmas sweater does have a cozy built into it. Um, would it. Would this be distracting during the sermon if I just kept, no, I won't, I won't, it's a little, it's a little heavy. We've got the podium, you probably wouldn't even, would you guys notice if I had like a straw? That No, it's not, it's not good. <clears throat> um, now, normally for Advent, um, we'd be doing some kind of a special teaching series to kind of get us into the zone as we head toward Christmas. Um, But this year, as we're working through the Gospel of Mark, uh, it just so happened, it worked out perfectly, that we get this little mini-series on the parables of Jesus that falls right in line with Advent. Now, we've talked about the parables in here before. Uh, In fact, maybe like a year or two ago, we did a whole series working through all the parables in Luke's Gospel. Um, So this is going to be familiar territory for some of us, but for anyone who's not familiar, um, a parable is a story that kind of works like a metaphor. Uh, You can think of it as uh, an analogy or an allegory, maybe even like a riddle. Uh, It's a story from everyday life that as you unpack it, as you get into it, reveals layer upon layer of deeper meanings and interpretations, kind of pointing us to bigger realities. Jesus used parables a lot in his teaching. This is actually the primary way Jesus would teach when he would like speak to the crowd. He used these stories that as you unpack them, it just reveals more and more about who Jesus is, what he came to do, the mission, and uh, how God is using Jesus to transform the world. We get a whole string of parables uh, in Mark chapter four. This first one, the one we're gonna talk about today, is the longest parable, and it's the parable of the sower. Now I'm curious, By show of hands, how many of us are already familiar with this one? You already know the parable of the sower. All right. That's like, that's most of us. That's almost everybody. Um, If you haven't heard this one before, that is okay. Um, It actually puts you at an advantage because you'll be able to hear it with fresh ears. Um, For the rest of us, though, let's reread this familiar story, and then we'll dive into it and see if there's maybe anything new here uh, that we haven't noticed before. The parable of the sower... Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things and parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. So Jesus is teaching by the sea. Such a big crowd gathers, he's got to go on a boat and pull into the water so that everyone can see him. And then he starts telling these stories. The first story is about a farmer sowing seeds, and he throws the seeds on all sorts of different soil. Uh, Some of it takes root and bears fruit. Most of it doesn't, but the stuff that bears fruit yields this return of 30, 60, and 100-fold. That's the story. Now, a bit later in the chapter, when Jesus is alone with the disciples, he actually unpacks the meaning of this parable for them. He interprets it for them, but for the crowds, for like the masses of people gathered at the sea, the story is all they hear, They only get the first nine verses. As Christians, as like disciples of Jesus, I think what we tend to do with this one is we jump right to the interpretation of the parable of the sower, right? We get right into like who's each soil, you know, the the rocky soil is this and the thorns represent that. But for the crowd, all they got was the story. So if we want to hear this one the way they might have heard it, I think we need to sit with it for a few minutes before we jump to the interpretation to really hear what's being said in this story. Now this is a story about farming. Brockport is a farming community, right? We're like surrounded by farms. Um, We do have, you know, the hospital here in the school. There are other industries. um, But we've got a lot of farms, a lot of farmers. By show of hands again, how many folks here have actually worked in farming or agriculture to some extent? A number of folks? Peggy, could you give the elevator pitch? Like, what, what, did, what have you done in sort of the farming realm? I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Okay. So you worked on the end of it, the kind of retail end. Absolutely. Um, it's a bad idea to ask people to talk with masks on. Anyone else? Anyone else want to share some of what you've done in kind of the farming industry? These guys shout really loud. Farming, agriculture. Bonnie, go for it. Really? Bonnie was a cowgirl rounding up cattle. That's awesome. That's amazing. Did you wear the hat and like carry the six-shooter and everything? That's, <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, it's hard work, right? Those of us who've worked in agriculture on farms. Um, my dad grew up on, the, on a farm uh, in, in the north country of New York, up by like Malone. So I hear the stories a lot. My grandfather was a dairy farmer. Uh, so believe it or not, I come from old farming stock. Um, Back when I was in seminary, I'd make some extra money in the summers by working uh, at a tomato farm. Um, and it was hard work. It was backbreaking work. All the planting and the, the harvesting and the pruning, it was tough. And we had like machines. We had machines that would actually help you plant things in the ground and help you harvest. And it was still backbreaking work. In Jesus' day, though, in the first century, they didn't have any of those machines. To understand the parable of the sower, you've got to know a little something about what farming was like in first century Palestine. The bulk of Jesus' audience would have been farmers, and there are all sorts of layers to this story that would have resonated with them instantly. In that part of the world at that time, you're talking about dry soil farming. So most farmers are working these small plots of land that have been in their families for generations and it's dry soil farming, so you don't have like, the fancy irrigation methods that we have today. It was dry ground, and the only water you could count on was whatever would fall out of the sky, and that wasn't much. Now, there were plots of good soil here and there. If you could get land by a river or some other like water source, then you could actually like, irrigate and pump out a decent crop, but most of that land had already been gobbled up by the wealthy in the area. Romans, rich locals who had kind of bought up all the best land, leaving these small-scale farmers with whatever they could eke out from their dry land. So what you would do, if you're one of these farmers, you would scatter seed everywhere. You'd throw it on every inch of your ground um, because you don't know where the best soil is going to be. You'd throw out the seed, and then after they had scattered the seed all over, then you would plow the field to actually drive the seed into the ground, hoping that some of it would take root. So when Jesus talks about a farmer who's scattering seed everywhere on the thorns, on the rocky soil, they would have connected with this instantly. He's talking about their lives. I've heard a lot of pastors preach on this story, on the parable of the sower, and they usually talk about it as this metaphor of abundance, right? They assume that God is the sower and that God is just kind of liberally throwing seed everywhere, so abundant, like even where it has no chance to grow, but that's backwards. This parable is a picture of agrarian poverty, A farmer who's so desperate to grow something that they throw seeds everywhere, not knowing where the good soil is gonna lie. This is a story about poverty. The abundance, though, comes with the harvest. Uh, These ancient farmers would plant and they would hope to harvest enough crops that they could feed their families, pay off their debts, uh, maybe have some to sell at the market so they could get some cash, the whole system depended on debt. Remember all the wealthy landowners who had kind of already bought up all the good land? There were no banks back then. So if you were one of these small scale dry soil farmers, you had to go to one of the big farmers who already had all the good land and get a loan from them to make it between harvest times. And you better hope that your sowing yielded enough crops because if it didn't. If you couldn't get enough to pay back those loans, those big wealthy farmers would take your family lands. It was a brutal system. It was a system that made rich people richer and poor people poorer. And the average yield, the average harvest for these small scale dry soil farmers back then was anywhere from six to 15 fold. Now, I have no idea what that means, but I Googled it. So I've got information for you. Um, if your harvest was six fold, if it was on the lower end of that, you would just barely get by maybe. You'd be able to feed your family, you'd probably have enough to pay off your debts. But at six-fold, forget about any kind of stuff to sell at the harvest, make a profit, not gonna happen at six-fold. And then on the higher end, 15-fold, that was a really good year. That was like an amazing harvest. You'd have enough, you'd pay off your debts, you'd have plenty to eat, you'd be able to sell some, invest, maybe get some new equipment. If you had a 15-fold harvest, maybe once every three to four years, you'd be doing really well. But the good soil in Jesus' parable yields a crop of 30, 60, and 100-fold. That's impossible. Doesn't happen. Um, It was impossible with the farming methods they had back then to have a 100-fold harvest, even for those big farmers. Not happening. So we're talking like a miraculous harvest in this story. A, har- a harvest so big, it would turn their lives, it would turn their communities, it would turn their world on its head. Jesus is telling a very familiar tale that touches on the brutal existence, the hard lives, the backbreaking labor these people went through, but he ends it with a twist. This soil produces the biggest harvest you've ever seen. A harvest so big, it'll set you free from all those corrupt, unjust systems and structures you're sucked into. This is a harvest so big it'll turn the world upside down. There's this famous story in the Bible, uh, we read it a lot around Christmas time, uh, where an angel visits a young girl named Mary. Maybe you've heard this one. And the angel tells Mary she's going to have a baby. And when this young girl finds out she's going to have a baby, she breaks into song. But it's not like a lullaby. It's not like a song that like an expecting mother would sing to her child. Mary's song reads like revolutionary beat poetry. (laughs) This is from Luke chapter 1. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary's a radical. Mary gets it. The arrival of Jesus brings about a new reality. The world is going to look very different with Jesus as king. Jesus comes to put an end to the violence of the world and declare peace on earth. He comes to give sight to the blind and set the captives free. Jesus comes to reconcile us with our enemies and flip the tables of injustice. This is the new reality that Jesus is pointing to in the parable of the sower. It would have been obvious to the people there hearing it. This is what we celebrate during Advent. This is what we're waiting for. But it's a reality that not everyone's going to be on board with. And that's where the interpretation of this parable comes in. Uh, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Check this out. <clears throat> and he said to the disciples, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word these are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. So according to Jesus, the seed represents the word. It's this message about this new reality Jesus is bringing about, the kingdom of God, we might call it. But that message is not gonna be received well by everyone. And that's where these soils come in. The seed sown on the path represents people who hear the message of Jesus, but their hearts are closed off to it. They don't receive the good news, so Satan snatches it away. That was like the birds coming and eating the soil off the path. Traditionally, a lot of people have interpreted this soil as uh, the religious leaders, the the insiders, the folks who were filling the the churches, the synagogues back then, um, the religious elite who closed themselves off to Jesus' message. That's scary (laughs) for us. Um, Then you get, though, uh, the seeds sown on rocky soil. Um, Traditionally, that's been interpreted as the disciples. Uh, Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Peter, a.k.a. Rocky or Blockhead? Um, the, The rocky soil is the people who hear the message of Jesus, and right away they're all about it. They're on it. Let's do it. But as soon as trouble comes, as soon as problems arise, things start to not work out, they fall away because there's no root. The third soil is the thorny soil. These are the ones who hear the word. They hear the message of Jesus, how the world is being turned upside down, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth chokes the word, so it yields no fruit. Very vivid imagery Jesus is using here. These are the folks who have too big a stake in the world as it is. The idea of all that turning upside down, not very attractive to them. Traditionally, figures like Pontius Pilate, the rich young man, these are who traditionally Christians have kind of pointed to as the examples from the gospel. And then finally, last but not least, we get the good soil. Those who hear the word of Jesus allow it to take root in their hearts and go on to bear fruit for God's kingdom. Their lives become an embodiment of this upside-down reality. Where would you chart yourself on these four soils? <clears throat> What's the state of your soil? We all want to be the good soil, right? <laughs> like, duh. Like, that's, that, that's the goal. And I don't know, like, maybe on my best day, maybe. But if we're honest, where are you at on here? Maybe you're like the seed scattered on the path, um, Maybe your heart just isn't open to the message of Jesus. You don't buy it, Uh, it's too good to be true. Maybe you serve another master. It could be yourself, it could be an ideology, it it could be anything. All that talk about love of enemies, putting down the sword, praying for those who persecute you, maybe that's not your bag this Advent season could be an opportunity to reflect on where your allegiance lies and whether or not you're on board with this Jesus thing. Or maybe you're the rocky soil. Uh, Maybe you're like the disciples, those 12 goobers we talked about a few weeks ago. Maybe you hear the message of Jesus and you get really excited. It's like, oh yeah, I could get behind this guy. I like Jesus. But then when things get hard, When trouble comes, when people start to look at you differently, when things don't work out the way you've planned, maybe then you find yourself going off track, falling back into old patterns and habits. Or maybe you're the thorns. You've heard the word, you've heard the message of Jesus, you might even be like on board with it in theory, but man, the way of the world is looking really good to me right now. It's working for me. I'm not sure that I'm ready for all of this to be turned upside down. This is the one that scares me, by the way, the thorns. Um, When I look at my bank account, when I look at my retirement savings, when I look at all those expensive degrees on my wall, the idea of God humbling the proud and leaving the rich empty doesn't sound that good to me. Or maybe you're the good soil. Maybe you're a better person than me. We can hope. Um, Maybe you can relate to these desperate farmers in Jesus' audience. You've been worn ragged by the world. The present order is not working for you. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. You're tired of being exploited, tired of being dumped on, and you need some good news. Maybe you're here and you've worked through some stuff. You went to therapy, you've been discipled, you've worked through some demons. Maybe Jesus has saved your life and you are all about this good news. Maybe you've already begun to see the fruit of transformation and healing in your own life and the lives of others around you. And who knows, maybe there are aspects across all four of these that resonate with you and it really just depends on the day. That's where I'm at, to be perfectly honest. Some days, I'm the thorns. Some days, I'm rocky. Some days, on a really good day, I feel like I'm good soil, maybe. Ooh, there's some fruit here. Where are you? Advent is a season of waiting, season of reflection. Um, There's a reason that as Christians, we don't jump right into Christmas. I know at, like, the stores, at, like, the mall, it's been Christmas since the day after Halloween, but not for us. We wait. We have to get ready for the arrival of Jesus in our hearts. We've got to prepare ourselves. We need to reflect. We've got to till the soil. We've got to check our hearts and our motivations, make sure that we're ready to receive this word of good news. That's what the season of Advent's all about. That's what we're going to be doing together over the next four weeks. Um, If you're not already, I would highly recommend finding a practice this season to help you get in that reflective zone, to be preparing your heart for Christmas. It might be like taking 10 or 15 minutes a day to just sit quietly and pray and listen It might be journaling, uh, it might be working through a devotional. We have a fantastic one at the Connection Center. Uh, You could take this season to read through one of the Gospels or even do like an Advent calendar with your kids or grandkids. There are all sorts of ways to get in this. Uh, If you need help with this, reach out, shoot me an email, contact the church, sign up for one of our Advent small groups. It's only a four-week commitment. Whatever you do, though, don't let this season pass by Without taking the time to reflect and prepare, let's pray. God, we thank you for this holy season of Advent, the season when we wait and anticipate and prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of your Son. God, this word we've received from Jesus is radical. It shakes us to our core and it turns our world upside down. It humbles the proud and elevates the lowly. But God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive the good news of Christ. Mold us into good soil through the power of your Spirit so that we may hear the word and bear the fruit of transformation. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed
0: what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, brockportfirstbaptist.org Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.